0: I first learned of James McClutchie's love for his home in the woolly Hebrides' islands of Scotland in an email he wrote me. He wrote that he felt his life began at age six when he was adopted out of a Glasgow orphanage. His foster parents took him to live on one of the Outer Hebrides, where a kid could explore all day and where he soon learned to speak Scots Gaelic like everyone else. James, it's good to have you with us. You're welcome, Rick. So tell us your story. How is it that you ended up growing up on this remote fringe of of the British Isles that's actually
1: closer to Iceland than it is to London? It's a really bizarre story. I was somewhere sitting in the darkness. I had no memories of living at all. And one day a door opened and this tall man came in dressed in a suit and he took me out into a room and he put on a table a big map and he pointed to the map and he said, you're going there. He said, you're going to see You knew mum and dad.
0: So wait a minute, you were an orphan? I was an
1: orphan in some home somewhere. You don't even know where? No memories. It was somewhere in Glasgow, but there was no memories, nothing. And this was my first day of something so significant in my life. And I still remember this man pointing to this very small dot. And you're going there. And I don't even remember going there. But the first thing I remember was getting there. Oh. And coming out into this incredible place with big skies, amazing colour of sea and there was this little boy in his brown shorts and his jacket with a teddy bear. And he got put into a car with big red seats and it trundled down this road in what can only be described as one of the most beautiful moments in your life. It was the first moment that I believe I was born because this was given to me. Wow. Yeah, the child went into the light. Why? What is it about the Hebrides? The Hebrides are just those remote
0: islands where not many people live, way on the on the fringe on the northwest of the British Isles.
1: Well, the Hebrides are divided into two sections. So we've got the inner Hebrides and the outer Hebrides. So the inner Hebrides, for example, will have Skye, Tiree, Rum, Jura, Canna, Iona, and all those places. And then the outer Hebrides where I live, we've got 11 occupied islands. Uh, we're about 30 miles from the nearest mainland of Scotland. 500 miles from Iceland, but this is one of the oldest archipelagos in the whole of Britain. We've got rocks there that are 3,500 million years old. It goes right away across the ocean over towards Labrador. And the people who live there still speak the native Gaelic language, and they still live and work in a way of lifestyle that is so rare and unique to see in Scotland today.
0: Now you wrote about how you fell in love with its beaches, nature and
1: culture. Talk about the beaches. The beaches are powder white beaches. We've got one of the top 10 beaches in Europe, in the Isle of Harris. Uh, But where I live in Uist, we've got 35 beautiful beaches that are so accessible to people. These beaches in the summertime are fringed with what's known as the Macherland, which is this unique habitat that grows next to the sea. And there's over 177 different wildflower types growing there. So it's a carpet of incredible flowers and fragrance coming through the air. How are the seasons different for a traveler when they go to the Outer Hebrides? It's as if we go from spring to summer to autumn all in one. It's like a combined. So when you come there, you have to expect seven seasons in one day. It's always a breeze blowing. It's fairly warm in the summer. It'll get up to maybe about 70 at the best. Mm -hmm. In the wintertime, we don't get snow, but we don't get darkness in the summertime. So we've got 18 hours of daylight. And the, the fun for visitors is, how do we sleep in that? And what do local people do? So when the summer comes, we work until it gets dark. So we take advantage of the light. Conversely, in the winter, it probably is dark much of the day. Yeah, it gets dark around about uh, 3.30 to 4.30. After the shortest day, we get 15 minutes a week, and we start to see the birds. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with James McCletchy, and
0: he's a Hebrides man. What do you call a person who lives in the Hebrides? A Hebridean. A Hebridean. And when you think about the Hebridean, the population is quite sparse. How many people live in the Outer Hebrides? We've got about 26,500 people. 26,000, that's like a tiny suburb of Edinburgh. Are these mostly people that live there because they had no choice, they were born there or they're brought there as an orphan like you? Or are they people that are getting away from the crazy world and wanting to have a place where they can be closer to nature and have a quieter
1: life? It's a really interesting combination. When I went there, it was dominantly islanders who were born there, who would lived there for generations. And gradually of time, those people have left. And we're now getting a larger influx of people moving from Central Belt of England and those places looking for that ideal life, looking for that tranquility to get away from.
0: You wrote everything. that uh, you were taught by an older generation who showed you the world of an island. Does yeah. that older generation still exist? In-
1: Some of them are still there. And what's really unique to me is I remember the first time I was ever held in MD's arms was when I arrived at that home in the Hebrides. And this woman came out and she lifted me in her arms as if I was her own. And what was wonderful about that time growing up in the Hebrides was the older people had time for children. All they wanted you to be was to be the best you could ever be, and they never asked you for anything. They just gave you everything. They taught you a wonderful, wonderful way of life. Your foster dad was a crafter and a seaweed
0: factory worker. Yeah, he had...
1: What's a a crofter? A crofter is somebody who owns a small piece of land. The average uh, at one time would have been five acres. He had two cows when I was growing up, 30 sheep, some chickens. And to supplement that, he used to go and work in a seaweed factory, the alginate factory. So they would dry the seaweed, they would send it away and export it. Pretty bleak land to be more than subsistence, I would think. It is bleak land, but when you look at native people, they find a way to live in a, a paradise. Paradise always has a challenge. And that challenge is how to work and manage the land. There's been people on these islands for over 8,000 years, and they've left a testimony everywhere they've been.
0: Now, in Ireland, uh, there's stories of people that laboured long and hard to turn seaweed into good,
1: fertile soil. Was that done in the Hebrides also? Because these rocky islands, you need soil. Yeah, there's certain segments of the islands, and particularly in the Isle of Harris and those areas where you can look at the landscape, and you can see these lines that are through there, which are known as Fjanakan and the ladies at one time would have carried the seaweed off the shore in a wicker basket, they'd have carried it up, they'd have laid it all along the ground, and then they'd have turned the soil over. And it's really fascinating to look at how those people managed to live and survive there with a larger population than we have today, 44,000 people during that time. How big is tourism? for? I mean, I, I see this idyllic sort of world
0: apart. On the other hand, you can get there quite conveniently from Edinburgh,
1: and... Uh, There must be a fair amount of impact of tourism. Access is very easy to the islands. We have flights from Glasgow and from Edinburgh to go there, but we also have ferry services run by Caledonia McBrain. We have 275,000 visitors a year coming to those islands. But what's wonderful about those islands is there is a limiting capacity on the amount of people that can actually come at one given time. And we have such an environment that they disperse into this environment. So you might see them around once or twice a week, and the next time you see them is when they're leaving. Ah. The impact has not been that big on the environment. It's allowed us, yes, to invest in holiday homes, bed and breakfast and things like that. But people can still experience the real Hebrides. So there's
0: the inner Hebrides, which are closer to the world. And we've got some famous tourist attractions, the island of Iona, and a Mole, which you go across from Obam to get to Iona. Yes. Iona is a very spiritual place where Christianity came to Scotland yes. and has this connection with the old Irish saints and so on. And then the Isle of Skye, which is every traveler's favorite romantic magical bit of the Scottish island culture. But then you go beyond that to the outer Hebrides. As travelers, how would we distinguish now between the outer and the inner? And are the outer Hebrides worth the extra oomph it takes to get there?
1: Well, the Inner Hebrides to us are the gateway to the Outer Hebrides. You can go and experience the lifestyle on Iona and Mull and all those areas. Coming through the sky is a really beautiful experience as well because you've got the Cullen Hills, you've got the Red Cullens, you've got the Fairy Flags, you've got Dunvegan Castle. You've got a beautiful, beautiful, diverse landscape. But when you take that step beyond, you're moving into what the Celtic people used to call the Gates of Fire, the Old World. You meet people who speak a different language. You meet people who have a friendly welcome to you. And I could guarantee that you could turn up on any door in the Hebrides and they would take you in and give you a cup of tea. And that has not changed since I was a child.
0: There's a mystique about the Caledonian McBray ferry system. It's these ocean-going ferries that are the lifeline for a lot of these islands. And they chug out of these little ports and into the open sea and You know, they're going to another island and they are bringing, bringing sustenance, bringing loved ones and bringing food and trade. What does the Caledonian McBray ferry line mean to the people of the Hebrides?
1: It's more than just a lifeline. It's actually the way we live because without Caledonian McBray we would not be there. They bring in our food and when the ferries can't run we don't get any food. But not only that, the people who work on those boats are actually island-based as well. So we know them. They're giving you a true island experience when you go on there, a true island welcome. You hear bilingual language when you come onto the ferry spoken in both languages. And it's really wonderful. And Caledonian McBray go to about 23, 25 different islands. And they're one of the most reliable companies you could ever see. Is Oban
0: sort of the gateway to the Hebrides from a a transportation point of view?
1: Yeah, Oban is fairly easy for people from Glasgow. It's about two hours by transport or three hours by train, which is one of the most beautiful journeys you can take. But then by going to Oban, it opens up the inner Hebrides to you as well as the outer Hebrides. So what you would do is, coming to me, you would come into the far end, the southern end, and then what people normally do is they drive through to the north. So we have a saying where I come from. You head up south and down north. Up south is meant to be closer to heaven.
0: Up south. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with James McClatchy. We're talking about the Scottish Hebrides, the beautiful, mystical, remote, traditional, northwest fringe of Scotland that is a string of rocky, barren, yet rich islands. James's website is unwindinnature.com, and you can pick up James' passion for nature and his culture there. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Robert's calling from Winchester in Virginia. Robert, thanks for your call. Yes, thank you for having me. James, um, you know, it's such a vast area, I was curious as to if you wanted to stay there and tour for the week, where would you suggest staying as far as centralizing
1: One of the things people have to understand about the Hebrides is they are a 130-mile long chain. So depending on what your interests are, if it was archaeology, if it was environment, we recommend that you could maybe fly into the Isle of Lewis, into Stornoway. That would then give you access to the biggest island. You could go and see the Standing Stones, thatched houses. You could go and experience beautiful beaches, the Harris Tweed industry. If you then came into the Southern Isles, where I live, um, you've again got access to the beaches. You've got access to fishing, trips to St. Kilda, one of the most beautiful World uh, heritage sites in the whole world out there, just off our island, 41 miles. Or you can come by ferry. You can come down to Oban, take a train from Glasgow for about three hours, and then take a ferry out towards the islands. That'll take you about five and a half to six hours. Um, you can hire a car there it's fairly easy you can hire a car in the south and drive it up to the north and leave it there or there's very good public transport as well on these islands and it's a real wonderful experience because you're going on the little post buses you're going on other local transport you get a real chance to experience flavour and also to meet local people
0: Oh wonderful one of my favorite memories Robert in the Hebrides was just getting to know the the man who drives the post bus across the Isle of Mall getting from <laughs> Oban to Iona and he was like a stand-up comedian but he was sitting at the driver's seat and he just knew the culture he knew all the gossip and he couldn't stop talking and I just wanted to go back and forth in that bus all day long to listen to this bus driver James do I understand in Scotland that tourists are welcome to or anybody's welcome to go on a post car almost to get someplace if yeah, there's no bus that goes there?
1: There, there is normally a, a local transport system that runs there but some of the roads are so remote that it's a post that goes down there so it's a postal minibus they're collecting the mail as you go down from a letterbox
0: Robert thanks for your call well thank you yeah bye bye
1: bye this is Travel with Rick Steves we're talking with
0: James McCletchy about the Scottish Hebrides and James you, you mentioned to Robert to fly into the island of Harris would it be okay with you if I just had five days for the Hebrides that I flew over the famous places and went straight to the outer Hebrides?
1: Yeah, you'd fly into Stornoway or into yeah. Bambekla. But I can give you the most unique flight in Europe. What's that? You fly into the island of Barra and you land on the beach in a twin otter plane. There is nowhere else in Europe where you can do that but you Barra. land on the beach. Yeah, it's you, not a seaplane. It, the beach is just the beach, runway. It's a twin otter and you land there and it's the only place where the landings are separated by the tide. And you fly direct from Glasgow huh. and you'll be there with maybe eight people on the plane.
0: What's the name of the island again?
1: This is the Isle of Barra, B-A-R-R-A.
0: Now you mentioned in the context of Harris Island, Harris Tweed. It's actually originating
1: from the island of Harris. It originated from the Isle of Harris as a cottage industry and it went through quite a turbulent time. Uh, But recently, there's been a huge innovation in Harris Tweed. We've got lots more designer products coming through. There's a lot more cottage industry coming back into there. And also, Harris Tweed has the authentic orb symbol on it. It's got to be stamped. It's got to be made in Harris and the Outer Hebrides. If you buy it made anywhere else, it is not authentic.
0: By the way, can you do the Hebrides with a rental car just leaping from island to island by local little ferry?
1: Yeah, that is one of the unique things about Caledonia McBrain as well because they've got what's known as a Hebridean hopscotch. Okay. And you can buy a ticket and you get on a smaller ferry and a smaller ferry as you go through the islands. Oh, man. And that's a real experience again because... I love it. You're going there with all the local people. You might even go in there, there might be uh, some sheep going over or something like yeah. that on there. And it truly is an incredible experience. And even though I've been doing it since I was a child... Every summer, I go to the other islands because I want to experience that part of my life. This is Travel with
0: Rick Steves. We're learning about the Hebrides with James McClutchie. James's website is unwindinnature.com. Just talking to you, I can imagine that is the right website for you, Unwind in Nature, with the magic of the Hebrides and the rest of Scotland to boot. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Carolyn's calling in from San Diego. Hey, Carolyn. Hi, Rick. Do you have a comment or a question for James? Well, my great-grandmother was born in Ile, in the Hebrides, and my cousin and I are cooking up a trip and wondering, is there any way to inquire into our
1: ancestry while we're there? Yeah, well, Isle of course is what's known as the Whiskey Island. There, uh, you can go there and have a wonderful experience uh, on the whiskey. But Isle recently, there is websites uh, available online where you can actually write to them with uh, your ancestry's name. They can actually trace your relatives who've came from there, uh, and you can go and speak to the genealogy specialists. Uh, okay, was it sec-
0: Whiskey and Genealogy? What's the name of the island?
1: Isle, I S L A Y.
0: I S L A Y.
1: So if Islay. you wanted to go to Isle, uh, you could come to maybe make Oban your base and then take a Caledonia McBrain trip out there spend a couple of days there uh, go around you'll probably get a chance to get a local guy to go and see maybe where your relatives came from there's quite a lot of emigration from our islands dating right the way back from the 1600s right the way through to the 1800s so a lot of those people came to America some went to the South Carolinas they went to Nova Scotia, Vancouver and all those places I so uh, went to
0: Canada
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's great and if you look at the place names in those areas they're actually relative to a lot of the areas where the people came from So as you can well. go to
0: Nova Scotia, yeah. and you as a Scottish guy could see, ah, these people came from the... Yeah, from from the islands.
1: From the islands uh, or, uh, or,
0: yeah. Caroline, thanks for your call. Well, thanks. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. James, I could talk forever about the Hebrides. In fact, I'm already rearranging my, my travel dreams. This is so beautiful. You mentioned you learned the Gaelic language, and what's the, the status of the language and... And where would you find it as a traveler?
1: Well, the Gaelic language is probably now there's about 87,000 speakers worldwide uh, who can speak it. The dominant population can speak it out in the outer Hebrides. Right. They reckon is about 23% of the people who can speak, read and write it. It is still a bastion for the language. We have a problem with it because of Anglicisation when the English language started to come into our house. When the television came into our homes in the 1970s, they said that that was the first time an Englishman came into a Hebridean home. So the English language became the dominant language, but the Gaelic language has been held on there, so it's what we classify as a working language. It's an old language that goes right the way back to the 4th, 5th century. Mm -hmm. came over from Ireland, mixed in there. And it's unique where we are there because when you look at the old maps of Scotland, we were known as the Norse Gales uh, because we had a lot of Viking influence there, but we managed to withhold onto the language. So I use the language on a daily basis. It's easier for me to speak in the Gaelic language than it is in English. There's some words I don't know in English. And when you look at the expressions that the older people used to have, They wouldn't have the same meaning in the English language. So it's that connection back to those old times. For me as a child, it allowed me to be immersed in island culture. And I would never have had and gained the wealth of knowledge that I had if I wasn't able to speak to those older people. So I'm going to come and visit you
0: and you're going to teach me a little bit of Celtic Scottish language, and you're going to take me out after dinner for a little walk. What's a beautiful experience I would have that I would never forget in the
1: Hebrides? One of the beautiful experiences we have in the Hebrides is called catching the stars and leaving only footprints. We can go down and walking onto the beaches, the powder-sand beaches, you can go on barefoot, walking into the water, and the stars fall from the heaven and they're reflected in the sea. And if you put your hands through the water, you're actually holding the stars. And for people... Not only going into the sea, but having that experience, which is so unique. And then during the summertime, we have what's known as bioluminescence. The seaweed and the water takes on this incredible glow. And when you actually walk along the seaweed in your feet, your footprints light up. So you could follow my footprints through the seaweed. This is one of the most unique experiences you can have in an environment that is so tranquil. You can just stand there and you hear the sounds of nature and you hear sounds that you wouldn't normally hear. James McGlechie, sign me up. I want to touch the stars and leave only
0: footprints. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome.
1: Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.